And a very good evening to you. Welcome along to the very first ever Big Kickoff Tennis podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing this once a month. And as the title suggests, we will be talking tennis. And I'm delighted to say I've got uh, a fellow person from the Big Kickoff, uh, Chris Elliott, uh, with us tonight. He's going to chew over all the tennis news and look ahead to the French Open starting this weekend. Good evening to you, Chris. Hi, Peter. Happy to come on this and talk about everything tennis, basically. Brilliant. Well, um, I mentioned about the French uh, uh, Open. We will go into that in more detail shortly, uh, uh, Chris. But um, let's look back first of all. Let's turn the back uh, the clock back, should I say? Only a couple of weeks, remember, to the US Open. Uh, it's very rare, isn't it, to have uh, one Grand Slam and then literally back-to-back Grand Slams. But of course, in the present climate that unfortunately we're living in in this world. This is the situation it's going to be now. But um, let's have your thoughts, first of all, on, on the US Open. Okay, so yeah, um, it was quite interesting how um, the tournament was run. You had, um, obviously, all the players had to wear masks coming out. Um, and there were quite a few big players, actually not in the draw on the men's side and the women's. So more notably, Federer, not on the men's. Uh, Nadal wasn't. Shikori also uh, not in there. The women side of things, there was Barty uh, wasn't competing. So, you know, you had big players out. So it was a year of the underdog, really. I thought, um, and I, I watched. I watched all of it, as I'm sure you watched quite a bit of it. Um, there were some really, you know, good matches. Um, Felix Auger Aliasime you know, took out Murray quite quite early on. You thought he was going to do well. Um, you know, there, there were on the women's side of things as well. I think Azarenka really, you know, she had a really good tournament. And you, you, I kind of did think Serena Williams would actually break or, or equal, sorry, Margaret Court's record and do it. But no, she didn't in the end. But yeah, no, it was full of surprises, really, I thought. This was an event, Chris, because that had no, no fans, unfortunately. I mean, obviously, under normal circumstances, um, Flushing Meadows would be filled to the rafters. You wouldn't be able to get a ticket for love nor money. You mentioned about quite a few surprises, which there was actually, understandably. So would you put that down to the fact where there wasn't a crowd there and some of these players thrive on fans, others don't. And if you're a bit of an underdog, um, I think if anything, personally, uh, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. I generally feel that that benefits the underdog having no fans there. Oh yeah, no, I completely that. I agree with that point completely, Peter. Um, the no fans aspect is it's kind of big in most sports, but tennis especially because some players they thrive off a crowd um, mm-hmm. when they're like sort of out of a match. They just need someone to thrive off. Like example, I give the other day I was watching um, Rome Rome Masters and Musetti, who had quite a good win. He was um, battling quite another young player. Um, I think, but he needed a crowd just to thrive off, I think, to get into the match and didn't have that. So it's a big factor, really. And that's why I think you see some of um, some surprise results, really. Um, I know early rounds, there weren't really many shocks. I think Cameron Norrie did knock out Schwartzman, but there weren't sort of loads. But, you know, there were yeah some really good matches. It does make you think, like, COVID, with everything going on, the quality was still high, I thought. So it wasn't like, you know, there were duff, there were some duff ones, but, you know, it was still high quality throughout. 
Yeah, you mentioned about that. And I think in particular, I know someone was saying to me before the event, it won't be the same because having no crowd there, there won't be the intensity levels. But that was nonsense, wasn't it? Because there was matches that had really high intensity levels. Yeah, um, I, f I feel like the players, it, it affected them sort of more though with when coming back on because they haven't been match ready mm. and it took a lot more out of them, the, especially like the five setters. Um, so, yeah, and with the, the whole how it works with like the coaching and whatnot is a lot more difficult because usually the coach was able to come on and, you know, chat to the player and see what to change up, everything like that. There was none of, none of this. So, it, it, yeah, it's interesting, really. But I'm happy, like, I'm happy it's the tour, the tennis tour is back on and they managed to, you know, get the Grand Slams back again. Because the way, when Wimbledon got cancelled, it's its first time in, oh, there's a stat for it, like something like since the Second World War that it's got cancelled. So, um, you know, it's good to have Grand Slam back. And I, actually, you know, the big three in the men's side of things, we could see new players emerge and, and take over. You mentioned about that, obviously. Let's look at the men's final. Um, it was a fantastic final, wasn't it? Uh, Dominic team was always going to be, I think, slight favourite, yes. But you have to give a lot of praise to the Russian, obviously, Alexander Zverev. Um, he was two sets to nil up. He was cruising, wasn't he, Chris? Absolutely cruising. Uh, it got to a certain stage where I was contemplating going to bed and thinking, well, that's it, it's going to be over in three sets. Luckily, I didn't, having said that. Dominic team, to his credit, fought back. And in the end, prevailed by three sets to two. It was a real gutsy performance from team. Um, he looked down and out after going two sets to down, two sets to love down. Sorry to Zverev. Um, Zverev in the past hasn't come through in big matches. I've been a bit critical of him in the past because he hasn't, you know, lived up to his potential. But this tournament, he's had a really good run. Um, in the final, I thought he could do it. You know, two sets mm. to love up on team he looked like he had all the momentum um, but team fought back and it became a really good match I thought when Zverev was two sets up it wasn't a great a great match actually there were lots of unforced errors um, Zverev really didn't have to play his best tennis when he was you know two sets to love up I thought but both players kind of stepped the level up and yeah team eventually got the job done I think, Zara, if you're right, and those opening two sets in particular, you're right. I mean, he, he did look a class apart. I mean, the team was sort of walking around the court. He didn't know what hit him, really. But credit where credit's due, obviously, he came back. I think it was helped by Zarev's, um His serving wasn't good at all, was it? Especially in those final three sets. And, of course, you know, when you're two sets to nil up, all right, you, you are favourite to win a match, understandably. So... Uh, Anybody will tell you, you only got to win one, one more and that's it. <laughs> but of course, in the finals, we all know the third set can be the hardest, can't it? <laughs> yeah, I think team's experience um, showed. He's been in Grand Slam finals before. You know, he's the guy who's taken out um, the likes of Djokovic, um, you know, the big, the big guns. Um, so he's, his experience kind of showed through there. And he saw, you know, he, yeah, he got the job done in the end. He played... Real gutsy tennis, as I said, you know, with the rallies, he was really taking it to Zverev. There were a lot of points, like rally exchanges, I think a lot of shots. So um, it was real close in games as well. It's serving, obviously, important in tennis. And when your serve percentages aren't as high, really, what's winning you the points is the mustard, really. Then, you know, it's, it's not going to, you're going to have an uphill battle. Um, 
yeah, no, I'm, I'm pleased how the final was real good watch for fans. I thought that's what everyone deserved. In the end, it became a good match. It's not like a classic, say, Federer Nadal match. Mm. It's not one up there with that or one of the Djokovic's finals. Um, but it, it, was, it was really good still, quite competitive uh, match in the end. And for once, uh, uh, Chris, we didn't have a, uh, a Federer. <laughs> we didn't yeah. have a Nadal. We didn't have a Djokovic. Of course, at one stage in the US Open, Djokovic was going through just winning games for fun. Oh, it was virtually a case of bother shouting. As long as he doesn't do anything wrong, he should go on and win it. But of course, uh, circumstances change, didn't they? With that particular match in, that I'm referring to and the, the disqualification. Um, what, what was your take on it? Um, so with Djokovic, I do kind of feel like he wants the same amount of fans as Federer and Nadal have. He's desperate to be liked by the tennis world. Um, he's got his fans. He's got a lot of fans, actually. He's an incredible player. Um, I, I can't remember now of Grand Slams he's on, but he's definitely chasing down Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer's tally. Um, so I, I, with the incident, it's in the rules. You do ha- get disqualified. There should be no questions there. Um, in terms when some people, it's a mixture of what I've read on tennis Twitter, other online platforms that are saying the lines, uh, the lines person, she was making more of a fuss over it than she should have. But it's hard to tell because when you look at the incident again, Djokovic, yes, he, he did like, hit, hit her, the ball, like, uh, hit her in the throat as well. That would, you know, that would cause a reaction. But it's hard to tell how hard he did hit it. It could be from one angle it shown, it, it looked really painful and hard. The other angle looks quite casual, the way he, you know, I don't know where he goes from here. Oh, he's, he's won Rome. Um, he beat Schwartzman in the final. Um, one of the favourites, I'd say, for French Open. He will bounce back. He's an incredible player. Um, to beat him on your day, you have to have the match of your life almost. And, you know, even off form, Djokovic is still hard to beat. So uh, I don't know what Creno Buster, what was going on in his mind. Because he, he was looking like, oh, so confused as to what was going on. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It caused a lot of stir to social media as well. It did, and and I suppose to be fair, it, it was un uh, Djokovic-like, wasn't it? Because I mean, his reaction straight away, uh, you could tell he, he thought, "Oh, I should not have done that." Um, all right, I mean, you can sit down and argue. Well, no, he should not have done it. Full stop. Why on earth did you think to do it? My honest take on it, Chris, in particular, is I think he, he was very frustrated at the time, wasn't he? You could tell. Um, and of course, Djokovic being Djokovic obviously wants to be the best. And he, to be fair, on, on his day, he is the best. That goes without saying. And I think it got to a situation where he did, he was, he was ruffled in that match, yes. He was very, very frustrated. And you know, obviously, it wasn't intentional. No, uh, you know anyone can see that. It definitely wasn't intentional. It was just one of those things. It, 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 you're right. I mean, I go along with you. You know, rules are rules, and at the end of the day, whether it's Djokovic, Murray, whoever, whoever does anything like that, it's going to face that punishment, aren't they? You know, obviously, it goes yeah. without saying. More than it was um, apologetic over the incident, but let's not forget, Kerno Buster's a former top ten player. He's um, you know, he's a good player and he was at, it was at a stage of the match where I think Chrono Buster might have been 6-5, but I don't, I can't remember fully, but it was a, it was a key point in the match anyway. And, um, 
yeah, Djokovic was getting frustrated. He wasn't making the shots he wanted to make. Um, it was quite a heat of the moment type thing. And yeah, he got fined all his prize money as well. To some, it may seem you know, harsh, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like he'll learn from this, obviously. And he won't do it again, which is the main thing. Um, and obviously, he's one of the one of the favourites for French Open, arguably. So, yeah, it's interesting, though. It is. I think the only downside of it, which I thought was a little bit strange at the time, and only Djokovic will know this, Chris, was it would have been nice if he probably apologised, say, straight away, didn't he? But mm-hmm. he didn't. Uh, obviously, he realised what he'd done was wrong. Fair enough. But you would have thought even a guy like that would have perhaps come out in a press conference afterwards or made a statement straight away, literally. But he didn't, did he? He just virtually no. walked out. With the media. Um, back to a hotel. Thank you very yeah. much. Goodbye. It doesn't create a good impression when you try and hightail it out of Flashing Meadows. If you just say like to the press, I know what happened. I take responsibility and I apologise. Dennis Shapovalov, an innocent of the umpire, he was quite young at the time. He went to the press and said, look, I know what I did was wrong. I apologise for it. And, um, you know, Djokovic should have done that. But came out with a statement um, in the end. I think at the time his head was quite screwed. It's like, you know, his, his whirlwind of um, thoughts probably going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what he wanted to do. Um, but yeah, he'll learn from this. And um, going forward, I can imagine he won't do something like that again. No, I, I, I think you're right. I think he would have learned by that. Uh, I mean, he's experienced enough now, isn't he, as well, to probably, you know, I say put it to the back of his mind. Um, he's going to be one of the clear favourites in the French. We'll come on to that shortly. Um, let's quickly carry on with the US Open. because the women was a good event as well. Uh, congratulations to uh, Naomi Osaka. But I think the real star of the women's event has been, you mentioned her earlier, uh, Victoria Azarenko. I mean, <laughs> everybody was writing Victoria Azarenko off. Prediction-wise, everybody was saying, yeah, okay, good on her to make a comeback, but no chance. But to be fair, I mean, she really dominated most of that tournament, didn't she? Mm. She came up against Osaka, who is a world-class player, as we know. And I I suppose it was probably helped by, because before the actual start of the tournament, so many of the women pulled out, didn't they, as well? And of course, you get into that side of the draw... I just remembered that Halep um, also um, pulled out as well as Barty. Um, That's right. Yeah. But on the actual, when I watched um, Azarenka's matches, she took apart Mertens. At least Mertens is a tough player. Um, she had a good run there, and Azarenka took her apart. She took Jennifer Brady apart as well. And I just thought, wow, um, she's back to her sort of 2013 form where she was really making deep runs in tournaments, and she is a Grand Slam winner. Um, as well, I believe. She's made US Open final um, as well. Um, but yeah, no, I really thought she could you know, get the job done. But Osaka, she had that taping on her. Um, eventually, sort of, I think sort of her you know, experience and Osaka's good on hardcore as well. Her mm. game um, saw her through. But yeah, um, it was a really good watch out to the women's side of things. You know, just as good as the men's really. Really interesting matches. And Serena at the semi-final stage, you do wonder when she will get the job done, actually, with, the, with regards to court record, whether she will actually equal it, or if she will split ways with Patrick um, Mutoglu. You don't know. I was going to ask you about that, because 
everybody keeps saying Serena, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But they've been saying this for a little while now, haven't they? Mm. And do, do you feel, um, Chris, in particular, she's getting to a point now where she gets so far, but she just can't get over that winning line? Yeah, I do kind of feel that, Peter, because in the women's game, you look at who's um, coming through at the moment. Um, Osaka, a top player. Um, eventually, uh, Barty will be back competing, but Halep at the moment is looking good. Ah, Serena's getting on a little bit, and in tennis, when, you're, you, you, when you go on, I know Federer's just proved us all wrong with age concerns, but when you go, do get on a bit, you know, you, you, you're, you can start to suffer in longer matches. And with Serena now, I, f- I kind of feel like opponent, opponents figure her out more. She's still got that blistering power um, in her game and she can retrieve a lot of shots. But you look at the build, well, she's quite a muscular sort of build. She does get a lot of shots back. But I'm sort of wondering when she'll do it. I think she put so much pressure on herself, I feel, to get the record. And when she comes short, you know, I, I just don't know. I, her sister, Venus, I'm not sure how long she'll be around. But for Serena... She will still do well. I just don't know when she'll win a Grand, grand Slam though again. Yeah, I echo those points as well. It's, you can tell in her play, as you say, quite rightly, she is so desperate, isn't she, to, to understandably to try and equal this record and probably go on and try and even beat it, actually, more than anything else, assuming she's got a few more years in her, which I go along with, I think she has. But it, as you say, you know, at one time, Chris, it, Serena Williams was a class apart from anybody, wasn't she? But like you said, in the last few years, there's been so many up-and-coming young players. Or you, can, you could argue the fact, well, Victoria Azarenka isn't a young player. No, true. But she's back as well. Um, there is a, there's a good breed coming through, and a lot of them are challenging the likes of Williams. And they're there, so they will do, won't they, in the next few years? Yeah, with the WTA, um, there's always been a problem with consistency there's been no consistent um number one i know the likes of ostapenko and Mugarutha once looked like real powerhouses and they've kind of you know gone down to the pecking order a little bit there's been no one really who has stamped their uh, you know stamped their mark on the, on the world of, of female tennis i mean serena williams at one point did and that's what gained her this aura of being so good um and everyone was got her so many fans i feel like her sort of ruthlessness of finishing matches but now we have all these different players coming through i like the unpredictability of it peter i'm not gonna lie to you i like thinking in the tournament and not knowing who's going to win i mean some you can sort of pick and choose and go like oh um this is clay this will suit Halep. she'll mm. win the french open but yeah um it's certainly different now one lady we haven't mentioned is uh, Joanna Conta. She's, uh, she's been going through a bit of a rough time, isn't she, to be fair? And of course, recently, I think this week, she actually split from her coach, uh, Thomas uh, Hugstead. She was beaten in Rome by uh, uh, Gabby Muguruza as well. Uh, admittedly, Thomas Hugstead was only there on a trial basis, true. But at the end of the day, Joanna Conta has got this habit, hasn't she, of getting rid of coaches in abundance. She's had so many, hasn't she, Chris? Yeah, she, I know she's got through um, quite a few. With Conta, um, she's our best sort of British hope, I feel. I look at the overall with men's and women's. I look at the men's side of things. There's no one I see stepping up and, and making a, a big run in a Grand Slam. Um, female side of things, you know, 
Heather Watson, you know, she's sort of kind of like um, she's good, but like early rounds we're looking at. You know, Joanna Conta is probably our next best hope of winning um, a Grand Slam. And really, sometimes she hasn't delivered and the media have criticised her and people have asked questions. Yeah, it, my next question would be, do you feel she she can go on and actually win a Grand Slam? I mean, remember, she, you know, she's got so close before. I think she's made semi-final of the French Open. Hmm. I, I honestly think, Peter, uh, Peter, I don't think, I know, I, I wouldn't, I put her in a final, Grand Slam final, but I don't think winning it, no. Not currently with the crop of talent there is. I kind of feel like a game, she just kind of, when she's, it's a mental thing with, with Joe, I think, uh, more than anything. Um, she, when she's down, she crumbles a bit with, you know, sort of Cerstia in the US Open. Joe was... Crossing some of like most of the match, I think it went into three where Cersei won. I might be wrong on that. If I hope I'm not, but I think Cersei won in three. Um, but that, yeah, you just see it's a mental thing with Joe, and if she can overcome that mental stumbling block. Then yeah, but at the moment I don't see it happening. You say it's a mental thing. I go along with that as well. But do you also feel because she is the British number one, there is, there's added heaps of pressure on her, isn't there, to actually go out and win every single match? Yeah, well, since um, Andy Murray, really, we haven't had anyone near the likes of that uh, coming through. And Joanna Conta is the next best British hope. And all our sort of hopes and tournaments kind of are pinned on her. So there's an enormous amount of pressure. And the media kind of don't help with that. They kind of put, they put her on um pedestal. And then when she doesn't do well, she gets the criticism come in. And I don't think she... And also the media criticism, like the best, well, they're not exactly the best at giving it out, but she doesn't really um, take it maybe as well as other, as other players. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to tell really where, how well she'll do. Um, I'm hoping she'll come back to her sort of best sort of form and make deep runs in tournaments again. She, with Rome, I don't feel like she would have wanted to go out to round off a round of 16 to Muguruza, although Muguruza on clay, got a good pedigree, good record. Um, but no, I think Joe will want to make a deep run in the French, but hopefully quarter-final sort of thing and then get back to a good form again. Mm. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Obviously, we wish her the best of luck. We're still on the room to the next subject because uh, this week the Federation Cup, uh, Chris, was renamed the Billie Jean King Cup. I mean, obviously, Billie Jean King's been a legend in the tennis world for goodness knows how many years and she will carry on being so. Um, a good move, do you feel? Um, yes, she's a legend in the sport. I think the argument is of some, or some journalists argue and other, people, and other fans argue that it's not really inclusive of both men's and females' game. It's kind of like, you know, we used to, it used to be a Hotman Cup, I think, which was more integrated and there are talks of WTA and ATP merging with this renaming of the cup. It's not, you know, it's kind of establishing both as separate entities. You know, it's, I, 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 I'm kind of a bit torn on it, Peter, myself. I'm not all for it, but um, I think it's a good idea because really Jean King is just a legend and it's good to honour um, legends in the sport by naming a cup after them. So... Yeah, it's good and bad. I can see the pros and, and negatives of it. And finally then, 
French Open, as I mentioned earlier, rapidly upon us. It's, uh, they've got the qualifiers going on at the moment. Um, Liam Brady has got through to the second round of the uh, qualifiers. If you haven't heard, actually, he's beaten Spain's uh, Nikolai Kuhn earlier today. But uh, let's look at the main event then, of course. When it comes to the French Open, easy name, really. I mean, it's the king of clay, isn't it? It's Nadell, isn't yeah. it? I mean, he loves this tournament. He's won it three years running, uh, something like 13 times, you know. It speaks yeah. for itself, doesn't it? Is he the man to beat, Chris? It's a ridiculous amount of times um, Nadal has won it. If any suitor um, was to, you know, over, well, was to trump Rafa, it would be Dominic Team. I feel. Team has the game on Nadal. He's beaten him before. Um, so I feel like it could be a really good tournament. But we've seen that Nadal lost to Schwartzman recently. Um, he is susceptible on that surface now. You know, he has the wrist problems as well. You feel like with, with Nadal, his time um, bossing that sort of surface won't last too long. So, you know, he'll want to make a good run here at Roland Garros. So, yeah. And you mentioned um, Liam Brody. He's in the qualifying. It'd be nice if he made the main draw. He's done well uh, Wimbledon before, I think. French Open, I'm not sure if he's had a good run or even, you know, um, but yeah, with the Brits, there's a lot coming through, but there's no one really um, challenging sort of the big, the big guns. There's no one apart from Evans who might be in the top 30. I think he's in top 30. There's no one else really um, below him. Mention Andy Murray because he's got a wild card, isn't he, in this uh, French Open? Uh, we, we don't know how he's going to do because the draw won't be made. I was told earlier this morning on uh, Thursday, apparently. But. <laughs> And he's a sort of player that, all right, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect him to, to win it. No, it's fairly obvious. But at the end of the day, if he gets a good draw, and he's determined to come back, isn't he, more than anything, uh, Chris? I mean, you know, in that US Open, he's the sort of guy that if he goes two sets down, he seems to really thrive on five-set matches, doesn't he? Somehow he just um, pulls him through. In the Murray DNA, I feel, to fight um, in matches. You saw with Nishioka um, in the US Open first round match, how he fought to win that one. He, had, he is a real fighter. He fought through his, surge, his hip problems. Um, I don't see him winning another Grand Slam. I may be too pessimistic, but he's not used to playing long matches. He needs that sort of practice. I'm surprised he didn't play Rome, actually. I felt like he should have had some torn practice coming in before playing the French Open. I'm interested to see how he does. Um, I don't see him getting past third round, to be honest, if he's in long matches, especially if the first two are quite long and grueling. Um, but I, I don't know what your take on it is, but I don't see Andy Murray actually, you know, winning um, another grand slam. I'm happy he's just back competing, to be honest, because, yeah, he's an incredible athlete and um, he's a legend in the sport, so... I, I agree, Chris. I, I mean, one thing, whether you like Murray or not, you, you have to praise him for his sheer guts and determination to come back time and time again when everybody writes him off, don't you, more than anything else, you know, with his injuries and everything else. I, I totally go along with you. I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if Murray does actually pick up another Grand Slam. And I think, to be perfectly honest with you, 
if you had a quiet word with Andy Murray, and he is an honest sort of guy, I think he'd turn around and admit it himself, really. You know, his best days have gone, unfortunately, with the injuries, etc. as well. So, yeah, I mean, the best hope, what you have to do is admire him for his courage and his guts, you know, to even go into these tournaments, play long matches, just see how he goes. But no, I, I totally go along yeah. with you as well. I mean, it'd be nice, obviously, if he could have a run even in this uh, French Open coming up. I mean, it's tough to see, really. I mean, I know Jamie Murray is still a successful doubles player. Mm. You wonder if Andy Murray will eventually turn to doubles. I know his goal at the moment is singles, but you do wonder if he'll eventually go, right, I'm going to just focus on doubles now um, and go down that route. Um, but no, incredible athlete, and I'm happy to see him back. Eating, and you'll be interested to see how he does. Mm, very much so. So we talked about the men then. Obviously, uh, Nadell, clear favourite, I think. One thing. Obviously, you, you can't write Djokovic off. No, you can't write him off in any event more than anything. We mentioned other names as well. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Chris. Okay. <laughs> go on then. What's your, who's your tip for the men's, first of all, before we go into the women? Um, so I will go for Dominic team on the men's side. Okay. Um. Quickly going to the women's, we've mentioned so many names. Um, Simona Halep, I think, is the clear favourite, understandably so. She's another one who loves this type of uh, surface. She's already won uh, the, uh, the the Italian Open as well. She's beginning to get back to her best as well. Again, I think a lot of it will depend on the draw, as it always is with a women's event, uh, more than anything else. Um, would you go along with Simona? I actually had Simona anyway, so yeah, I'm sticking with that. Um, I think the clear favourite and form she's in at the moment, she's clearly, um, you know, doing doing well. And I feel I should take it in a stride and go on to win RG, to be honest, French Open. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with Halep, I feel. Good, good. Well, I, I will I will go with Halep as well, also, Chris. So <laughs> that makes two of us, doesn't it, more than anything else yeah. as well. Anyhow, whatever happens, it should be a fascinating event. Uh, French Open starts this weekend. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Been an absolute pleasure talking to you, talking tennis. As I say, this is the first of the Big Kickoff Tennis Podcasts. Uh, you will find us every month. We'll be talking with not just Chris, but we'll be talking with other contributors. We'll also have some British tennis players, some media people as well that we've got lined up also, uh, which should be quite fun as well. So we'll hear their take. Uh, and the next uh, big, uh, big kickoff tennis podcast, we'll obviously look back on the uh, French Open. And in fact, we'll look back on the year on tennis as well. It's been a strange year, I know. Chris, thank you very much for your help. Chris Elliott, you can uh, find on thebigkickoff.com as well. From myself, Peter Moore and Chris, thank you very much for listening to us. And we'll speak to you soon.